Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today is Pastor Clayton Carver. Clayton, Hello. And Evan Federhoff. Thank you. Who longs to be a pastor someday, May I guess, right? Maybe? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll uh, see. To be we'll determined. He's, he's, a, he's a Padawan in the faith right now, but uh, anyway, we're, we're excited to have everybody here. Austin, our engineer, is down and out, and uh, so we're operating without him today, but we've got a great podcast ahead as we cover things in Ruth and in, and spend quite a bit of time in the Gospel of Luke, uh, not only dealing with the text that's there, but also some incredible questions that come out of Luke, what happens in the rapture? You know, is that real? What's going to, are you going to be left behind? Uh, all those answers are more at the end. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but there's all kind of stuff in the middle we want you to hear. So be right here as we continue to understand Jesus. Should we still follow the Old Testament law? How should we interpret prophecies? Have you ever had a passage of the Bible you just couldn't understand? If that's you, then I want to personally invite you to our study called How to Study the Bible, beginning April 19th at 6 p.m. In this study, we will study what the Bible is and how we can interpret different genres, styles, and contexts of the biblical authors. This study will give you new tools, tips, and training that will help you in your personal study of Scripture. If you have any questions, please contact the church office. I hope to see you there. We are now going to take a look at what we read in the scripture in our Bible reading this week and trying to show you that there's always something interesting as we are reading the Bible. And this week's reading was especially, uh, I, I think, wonderful. I don't know how to say that. But, well, this time period we're in, this guy, uh, and I don't know if you agree with me, guys, but this, the time period we're in of Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel and First and Second uh, Chronicle or Kings Chronicles and uh, and the uh, there's so much that's happening in that time in that in that time. I know there you know there's parts of chronicles that get a little bit you know drawn out, but uh, but it's an eventful time. It's it's like I I keep reading it and think oh that would be a good movie. Oh that would, that, why don't they why don't they make a movie about that? Oh. And uh, for my for me when I was in the Book of Ruth, who I who I wish there was a a movie because I just think it appeals to the public to see to tell one. Uh, and we were before we came into the podcast earlier, we were talking about uh, Ruth versus Esther, just as far as uh, which one has more redemptive value. And I just think Ruth has so much more redemptive value. Mm-hmm. And yet that story, and maybe that's why the story Hollywood doesn't touch it because of that purpose. But the uh, the mm-hmm. but uh, but anyway, the uh, the story of Ruth, uh, just kind of give you some background. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Ruth. Uh, she uh, her husband. Uh, Naomi's husband dies. Naomi is from Judah, and uh, Ruth is from Moab, so she's not even an Israelite. But uh, Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their sons uh, go to Moab during a time of famine, and they find jobs there. They get married there, and then all of them die. All the men die. And so first Naomi's husband, then Ruth's husband, and Orpah's husband. And they, um, and so Naomi's going to go back to her people. And tells her daughter-in-laws, "You all go back to your go back to your families. You know, I got nothing to offer you anymore." And so uh, they send him back. And Orpah goes, but Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. She says, "You know, your people are my people." That famous thing that my wife used for her vows in our wedding and so forth. Mm. Uh, but the uh, uh, that you know, now your people are my people. Your God is my God, and so forth. And so she goes with Naomi back to Judah. Now. The, the interesting part about this is because it's such an incredible setup of that you have. Uh, this Moabitess who is really not part of the people of Judah, and Naomi is saying, I don't really have anything to offer you because I don't have a husband. I can't, if I had a son, you would have to wait 20, 30 years for him to get old enough to marry and so forth. And and really just kind of explaining how the Israelites even thought in terms of, we want, you know, to be a part of my family, you have to marry one of my people and follow our, our customs, our law. And, uh, and so, so anyway, she goes back to her people, and 
is helping just sustain her mother-in-law through gleaning, which is which is also built into the fabric of the law. That gleaning is actually part of their life. That that you were God instructed their people to you know to not pick up everything out of the field when they were reaping their harvest. That you left some for the poor. It's so built into the fabric of who they are. And so she's out there, and uh, and Boaz, who's the farmer, uh, takes notice of her and uh, tells his guys, hey, don't just don't just not pick up everything. Throw some down. You know, throw some down so she can pick it up. And so she sees this kindness. Naomi picks up and going, mm, you know, maybe something's going on here. So so she kind of gives her instruction about what to do and tells Ruth, uh, you need to go in and uh, and lay at his feet, uncover his feet. This is a really weird passage. But uh, uncover his feet and then lay at his feet, and then he will know what you're doing and how this is going down. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, I pick up Maru chapter three, verse eight, it says, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? Of course it's dark. So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant, take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. And and so here is being set up something that's, I guess, had to be, you have to kind of understand the context of everything that's happening, is Ruth, a virtuous woman, who's not trying to come on, she's not trying to seduce him or whatever. And he's saying basically that you really, you didn't go after, you know, some young guy who, I mean, I, I don't want to say this like from emotional attraction, but you're actually just you're being honorable in in how you are seeking to seeking after the person that is of uh, that has the potential to be a kinsman redeemer. You're following mm-hmm. the law. I mean, right. you're, you're trying to seek and to do that, which is pleasing to God. And the law was, uh, and we had this question, who is it? We had some guy calling in a question about the sandal or whatever. And this is this is the passage is that, that leads up to that. So. The um the idea was is that you had to uh the law instructs that if that if a man has a wife and the man dies then his brother needs to be what's called a kinsman redeemer redeem mm-hmm. that so that that man's possession and property can continue on that wife can have son uh, that he takes her as a wife and whatever children are born out of that relationship that that carries on the name of the man who passed away so that his name can carry on uh and so. Ruth had not had any children, and so she is seeking a way to carry on the name of her husband, and really Naomi, because now Naomi has no grandchildren. And so uh, so anyway, so they're trying to keep their family going, and Ruth is willing to step into this role, and, and Boaz recognizes this and finds virtue in it, uh, and uh, and he goes to the, and later on, he'll go to the city gate and tell the guy, hey, um, do you want to do you want to claim this land that it, that belongs to Naomi or whatever and make this part? And the guy's like, sure, absolutely. He goes, well, let me throw in something. If you take the land, you also have to take Ruth as wife. Mm. And he's like, you know what? I'm good because he's like, I'll, that'll mess up my kid's inheritance. So I tell you what, you can take her. And so the law said that that was actually a shameful act. And so, and then uh, Clayton pointed out that's why we don't know the guy's name. Mostly it's probably why they don't have we, a name. They don't mention his name because it was a shameful act. And so, but the guy takes his sandal off. More isn't you know spit. They don't spit in his face, but he does take his sandal off. <laughs> should have. And should have. But they took his sandal off as a means of showing that this <clears throat> uh, this transition or whatever. But anyway, Ruth really represents all of us who are in need of a kinsman redeemer. I mean, she really is the picture of us. We are we are not Israelites. We are people coming from a, a different place. We have no means to save or protect ourselves, and that that's something that we miss in our culture because women uh, were protected, provided under God's provision through the establishment of these these of the name of a family line, and so they had lost all their family. They didn't have men working to protect them. I know it sounds sexist, but it was the it was the way the culture worked. Men were working and providing the needs and then and then women were were took care of the children and family and, and nursing home but weren't making an income and so but so the the men were the one providing the means and, and it still it happens a lot today um the um but uh but I, I love that where she says um where she asked him uh to 
Uh, she says, take your maidservant under your wing. And instantly in my mind goes to what Jesus said, that that was his desire to for Israel, is that I, I wish I could take you under my wing, under my mm-hmm. protection. And and and, underst- and understanding that, that what Ruth is asking of Boaz is what Jesus wants us to ask of him. He wants us to ask that he would take us under his wing. He wanted his people to ask that, but they didn't. They were not asking Jesus to protect. They didn't believe in him, trust in him, didn't look to him for hope or salvation. Uh, but that's what he desired. That's what he looks for. So he's so you have God saying, I, I just want you to need me. And so in, in that passage, you know, uh, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, you know, that uh, because of their rejection of him and so forth. And I, and I believe that that is uh, that, that it just expresses the heart of God, that he longs for us to long for him. Um, if we are longing for salvation. Uh, the good news is that Jesus is longing to be our Savior, and so you know, as we follow Christ as His disciples, He uses He He uses us to be expressions of that protection to others. I think He still desires us to have to have that kind of Boaz temperament, uh, to look and and need and see when people need to be cared for and to look after them. Um, let me clarify that uh, He is not saying if there's a woman who's sleeping at your feet that you should take her on as wife. That's not don't draw that conclusion. Uh, I'm speaking to two single guys no, here. Good to know. Yeah, that's so just uh, FYI. That's not necessarily what the, that means. Probably need to call the police, honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just just uh, alert the authorities. That, that's what, I don't know who she is. Um, but uh, but he does. He, he brings those in need to us in different ways to, and asks us to take them under our wing and love them with the love that he loves uh, us with. So... Um, but uh, and just to throw in that uh, in the story of Ruth because we won't touch it again because it's such a short book and we'll move on. But the mm-hmm. um, but this is David's great grandmother and so and true. so it's uh, so I mean Ruth and <clears throat> and um, Boaz are going to have Obed and then Obed has Jesse and then Jesse has David mm-hmm. and so she's actually uh, so she's in the line. And she's, uh, it's interesting because when they do the genealogies, there are only a very few women mentioned. One of, the, one of four one women. Of, one of, and she is, she is a prominent one. Esther didn't make that. She Esther make, did not she's make not that. She's not in that. <laughs> just, just in my pro, mm-hmm. pro Ruth uh, campaign here. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so, so what, anyway, any, any, any thoughts on that? Do you want to add anything to it? Take away from it? Did you read Ruth at all? Have you ever read the book? Of yeah. Ruth? yeah, I have. I have. <laughs> we just I got, have read we just Ruth. Got through it. <laughs> yes, I have read Ruth. I've heard many a good application. I've heard many a bad application of Ruth. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, <laughs> yes. Anything no. good, Dad? Don't don't give us the bad stuff. I, I really like bad. the picture of redemption that we have here. I mean, yeah. we we have lots of pictures of redemption and and talk of that within the mm. New Testament. In the Old Testament, I don't think we have as many direct examples of redemption um, like we have in Christ. Yeah. Um, where where just like we have no no chance at um with it without Christ same as Ruth without Boaz um there's no way to honorably um reconcile or or to continue and be sustained yeah. and and for us we go to Christ and we're sustained and, and continued that our life you know it talks about life and life abundantly mm-hmm. that we receive from Christ in the same way Ruth received somewhat of life from Boaz obviously she would have lived on she could have gone back to find a, a new spouse um in her people but right. um but, but the line would have died right there would be no line and it and it's and she's actually i mean god and by god's design has her there i mean all the things that are happening you think the death of a husband the death of uh three three husbands right. die and so forth and all the tragedies built into that god is i mean one of the most beautiful things i think is when uh naomi at the end you know, when she's holding her grandchild, you know, and how she thought she'd lost everything, thought right. it was over, that, that it was yeah. just God had cursed her. And instead, he's he's blessed her in ways that she can't even understand at the mm-hmm. moment. So, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I think it's a pretty story. Yeah. So, yeah. It is. It is. Well, and j- yeah, I mean, just the, the idea that Ruth is totally dependent mm. on Boaz's decision to take her in. Yeah. And the picture of salvation that that provides. Um, and it's actually kind of a, a kind of a good transition into my passage, but I like I liked what you said there at the end that um how Naomi's story story comes full circle, how she had lost everything and now she she had she gained what she wanted, but even more than that, she gained a family line that would bring out the person who would 
solve the problem for humanity who had lost everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And God is using this, this relatively smaller problem to solve the much bigger problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Mm. good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, Anything or is it speaking of Luke? No, I'm, I'm okay, right, cool. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't no, want to no, jump jump in there. I don't want to jump in, but I will. This is the right time. It mm. is the moment. Okay. Uh, so the other reading, Luke 17. This is where I'm going to be at. <clears throat> if you'll turn in your Bibles, please. <laughs> flip, 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 yeah. flip, flip. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple stories in here that 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 I really enjoyed. I I really enjoy Luke because, as a as a doctoral student and someone who is is a bit odd and really likes being in school <laughs> and likes the the deep complex details. Luke Luke is the gospel that appeals to me because he's very detailed and he's very mm. he's very orderly and he's he has a very he has a very clear thesis at the beginning mm-hmm. that he is always trying to support. Um so I like I like the gospel of Luke. Um so in Luke 17 uh verses 5 through 10 uh it's uh, do you want me to just read it? Yeah. yeah. It says, uh, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you, have, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Which one of you, having a slave, uh, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he comes from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank the slave because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you've done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are good for nothing slaves. We've only done our duty. Mm. Which, it's it's such a fascinating little moment here because mm. it starts out and you're going, oh man, that's such a great question to ask. Increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith. And you know, you read later in James and James is like, if anybody lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously. Right. Um, and Jesus turns around and kind of rebukes them um, and kind of um, is like, well, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do all of this stuff. I don't know why you think you need this massive amount of faith. Um, and then gets into verses seven through 10, which is about obedience and all of mm-hmm. these things. And um, kind of gets into, you wonder why they were asking for an increase in faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I really got to thinking about those last verses and, um, as much as we preach, we are saved by grace. Um, it's by grace through faith. It's not of works. You know, that famous passage in Ephesians, um, after we're saved, I feel like a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this. This is why this passage stuck out to me. We live as though that our justification is by grace, but our sanctification is by merit. Mm. And and um we we're saved because of what Jesus did but then once we're once we're in the salvation framework how far we progress is entirely up to us mm. and it's something we earn and then God causes it right but he causes it based on again on merit on what we've done right um i don't think anybody will ever admit that but that's our thought process and kind of let me explain what i mean <clears throat> we we often tend to think um I don't know if I've said it on this podcast before or not, but legalism and liberalism are opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're the same mistake. And it's the mistake of denying the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm. Liberalism says the Bible goes too far. It's too strict. It's too hard. Legalism also denies the sufficiency of Scripture. It says the Bible doesn't go far enough. Mm. So it's not enough. This, was, this is where we get you know, the idea of you're being a Pharisee. It's not enough to just obey the law. You have to obey all these other customs that we've come up with as well in between there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're good, practical, wise things to do, but we're considering these now law just as much as this is. And um, why, that's, why that's troubling and it shows up in our day, it's you'll have people, again, they'll never admit this, but they'll say, well, not only do I, not only do I obey Jesus, I do a little more, you know, so like, um, like for Baptists and alcohol. Hmm. Not only, I, I don't get drunk. The Bible says don't get drunk. So I don't get drunk. But more than that, I don't drink. I don't, right. I've never had a sip of alcohol in my life, right? And, so, and, and that's great, and that's fine if that's your conviction. That's my conviction. I don't drink. I don't like alcohol. Um, but when you turn that personal conviction around, 
and start to make you th- and it starts to make you think okay this is what a mature believer does a mature believer does what i do right and i am i'm more mature or god has blessed me a little more because not only have i not not only have i done what he said i've done more than that right. um and it it becomes a merit based thing and now there's this level of maturity or um you know again we're single well God obviously hasn't given you a wife because there's something that you have to get right first. Right. Um, and you have to earn that. Right. And, and it's not, it, it, it so doesn't, that's not true. Yeah. Okay. It becomes, yeah. What well, <laughs> it becomes, it becomes, it becomes a, a merit. It, it's no longer a blessing. It's a right. merit based reward. We treat, we treat our faith in Christ, our relationship with Christ, like a job promotion. Mm. And yeah. it's something that you that you earned. Well, obviously, this person over here got all of these things because he's been really obedient, and he's earned enough good stars right. to get to the next level. And um, you know, we can. We, so we used it for pride. We use it for frustration. You know, to turn it back around, we can start telling God this, like, God, look, you know, I'm going to seminary. I'm getting a doctorate. I'm preaching your word every Wednesday night. I'm going into ministry, and you know, I feel like I should have gotten a little more whereas this guy over here Mm. hardly reads his bible but he's getting all this stuff and um you know so it it, it was really convicting where jesus is saying look you know we can talk about increasing faith you know because i know you want to do all these things because you think it's gonna do whatever but really obedience to me is not something to be used It, it is an end in itself you obey me because that's what you're supposed to do. You obey me because I'm God and you are my servant. Right. You are my disciple. You are my child. He uses a lot of different imagery um, because that's just what you do. Why, why should you, and we say this, if we say we treat it like a job promotion, we see this all the time at work. Why do you feel you should be rewarded for fulfilling your job description? Mm. That's what you agreed to when you came here. Right. Um, so, I think it was just a really helpful reminder for me, and I think it could be for a lot of people that um, we forget sometimes. God doesn't owe us anything, and everything we have is just because he's good mm-hmm. and because he's decided to give it to us. Now, he loves us, and he wants what's best for us. I'm not trying to be grim here. Right. But to feel like we have earned anything based on our, our good behavior, not not earn salvation, but earn things afterward, right? We're we're all about justification by faith, but I think we're about sanctification by merit. Mm. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's t- uh, it's tough because it's um it, we do have a a thought process of I I think I have I deserve this I deserve God to do more for me and and the danger is is that there is a there is something good about saying i want to strive to go above and beyond what the word tells me to do mm-hmm. and uh and it's kind of uh, to me i i'm going to liken it to tipping for a second you know you you receive really good service in a restaurant and and so you tip them based on the you know the amount of the because of the quality of service and then it's like, well, you know that uh, we don't actually get paid full salary, and so mm. we live upon those tips. And it's like, and so even if I give you credit service, I expect a tip. And then, and then you like, you just go to the counter and order food, and then they're like, and do you want to give a tip? And it's like, for what? What am, mm. what am I tipping for at this point? Right. And it's like, and so are you not getting full salary for what you're doing? And sometimes it's the owner of the place, and you're like, don't you own this place? Right. <laughs> and so it's like, so... I'm not sure, and then it's like twenty percent, twenty five percent, thirty percent. It's like yeah. it's like, hey, uh, no pressure here, but here's the tip thing. Push a button, you know. And it's like they're standing there, what looking at you, and you're like, ah. But all of that, uh, so you take something that really at the, the beginning was, I get it. It was like I, you're, this is me wanting to do something for you, and now it's obligatory. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. now, now if you don't do it, then you're not a, you're not a kind human being, or, yeah. or there's nothing good about you. And in the church, mm-hmm. what happens is we say. We'll say something like, because uh, we've done this, this has actually happened in churches where, you know, it's like uh, humbling ourselves before God. It's like, it's a good thing to humble ourselves before God. Mm. And then, uh, and then it becomes a, um, let's say this has happened, but it becomes, it goes from, okay, let's humble ourselves before God. How do we humble ourselves before God? Well, we pray on our knees. We get on our knees and pray. And so then it's like, well, I get on my knees uh, five times a day and pray. 
Mm-hmm. And then now I'm I'm buying pants and wearing out the knees so that people believe that I'm getting on my mm-hmm. knees on a regular basis to pray, mm-hmm. you know, and then and then and letting people know, you know, and and then and then multiple times a day just getting on my knees to yeah. to signify I did 12 times a day, 15 times a day, yeah. 25 times a day. Well, yeah. then what happens is you'll start to do that, and those are good things, and you start to see spiritual fruit from that because right. those are good things that that God has said, mm-hmm. like when you practice prayer, when you practice meditation, like right. there's fruit that comes from that. The problem is, is what I'm, I think what I'm trying to get at is when you'll get in those habits and then a week, you'll spend a week not doing those and then something bad happens and you think, oh, well, this is because I didn't have my prayer time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. This is not merit based. Yeah. This is not like. God loves me when I do, but he doesn't love me when I don't. Yeah. Well, that family, well, of course they're having financial troubles. They stopped tithing. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, well, hang on now. Like, this is like. That's almost prosperity to a certain well, extent. Yeah. Well, the challenge is that it, it can't, it, there is there is the possibility that mm. God is disciplining them through that, there is, that, yeah. po- that means, but that's not... But I think to go there automatically... Right. Right, because again, it becomes the, the reward-based system. Well, and I'll tell you the, the, the example of... Uh, there was a guy who was working in nursing homes, and he... Um, uh, they were having a Bible study at the nursing home, and he and he was bringing oxygen in, and he, and he was just kind of hanging out, talking to the preacher, and... and um, and he said, um, yeah, everything's good between me and the man upstairs because, uh, you know, this oxygen I bring in, he goes, once a month, it's on me. I just do it out of wow. the goodness of my heart. And he says, I yeah. know that God, <clears throat> it's like, and he know, I know that God's up in heaven going, well, that's that guy dude, donates right oxygen, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got a special place in heaven. Yeah, uh, well, so. and, and that's the thing is like we would never, like we would never think about that in regards to salvation. Well, most of us, I don't think would. Yeah. But then after salvation, again, we start to fall back into that that mindset, and it is. It's not a merit-based thing, and well, when and, we do it and we lose it, and, and we think, um, um, lost my train of thought, but essentially, yeah, like we'll do something good, but then we'll stop, and we think, oh, it's not because I'm doing this that I'm not getting the, the fruit that I want, you know, and um, God is for your joy, but sometimes I think what, Jesus is saying is obedience again is the end of itself. Like even as a pastor, there are times going to church, for example, there were times through seminary. I didn't on Sunday morning. I wanted to sleep in. I didn't want to go to church. Mm -hmm. And there were times I would sit in church consciously aware that the only reason I'm here is because the Bible says I have to be here. Yeah. That this is what it means to be obedient is I have to come to church. And I don't want God to do something bad to me for not coming. Yeah. Well, no, sometimes not even that, that thought would come in mind. Yeah. But even then, it's like sometimes it was just a, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm doing it. But if I did that enough, eventually that joy comes back of, oh, I see why I'm doing this yeah. because I have this community right. and I have, you know, so that comes back. So don't, so don't get into thinking it's a, it's a reward merit thing. Mm-hmm. It's a. Well, I think it goes back to what you first said that mm-hmm. legalism and liberalism are two opposite ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. and we really have trouble staying in the middle. Yeah. Right. We 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 gravitate in one direction or the other. If we when we break the habit of saying, I oh I'm just going to church because I am trying. It was there's no merit. You know I'm not. It's not going to get me into heaven going to church. Obviously mm-hmm. it's not. It's not giving me any additional. God's not loving me because I'm going to church. Then we yeah. stop going to church. And it's like, well, well wait a second. <laughs> that, yeah. now, now you've now you're disobedient. Right. And uh, and it's like and and right. so we we swing on that pendulum yeah. so hard back yeah, and forth. So, so yeah so there there was two thoughts there one got you into the middle and then one got you to the other side of that spectrum yeah. right so the thought was well I'm not getting into heaven because I'm going to church you're right so you're free not to not go to church <laughs> yeah. you're free to just enjoy the blessings that being a part of the church yeah. have you're not That's having right. to earn anything yeah. you're just free to enjoy them you know like a kid, like when we were all little and we grew up in our in our parents house like we didn't have to earn the food they put on our table. We didn't have to right. earn the clothes they bought for us. Like, like just by nature of who we were, we got those things. So we were just free to play and enjoy being there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I, so I think the other thing is like the location that we get a lot of those things where it leads to legalism is through things that are biblical to some extent. Like, mm-hmm. so like we look at something like above approach. So we look at something where that's more of a, a elder or, or deacon thing that it, it talks about. And, First Timothy and Titus, but but like when we read something like above approach, then we apply it to more areas of our life, and then mm-hmm. and then we say like you're talking about, uh, not only do I not get drunk, but I don't drink, and then so we have this this stair step where it's it's okay, so I I can see in the Bible drunkenness is a sin, 
Then I say, okay, well, stay above reproach. You know, then we use a biblical term to identify the next step to prevent someone from even looking at me and thinking, ah, this guy's getting drunk. Mm -hmm. And so then we, and we apply that to so many different areas of our lives that doesn't really belong in. And, and, um, and not that those things aren't safer or not good, but then we apply it as a, as a, you know, a way to look more meritous, right? Yeah. But again, when it's, when, when we're exercising wisdom, that's a biblical command to exercise wisdom. Right. Right. But because every situation is different and every person is different, exercising wisdom is not always going to be a one-to-one ratio. Right. Right. So then when we apply my application of wisdom in this situation over here to everybody, now my standard becomes everybody's standard. Right. Well, and that's and, where you start to run into and, trouble. Well, and because we try to shortcut the relationship. It's like mm-hmm. I don't want to take the time to get to know God where he's where he reveals to me what is pleasing to him in our relationship. So if you would just tell me everything I'm supposed to do, then I'll just do that. But there's mm-hmm. no desire to I mean that's goes back to Piper's desiring God concept that you know Christian hedonism, but the because there's no there's no zeal for me to get to know God or to love him. It's like like I have a quiet time, but I'm just doing the quiet time because it's like tell me how many hours I need to spend right. in my quiet time instead yeah. of I just want to spend time with God and I stop when I have to leave. Yeah. yeah. And but it's like yeah. so but it's like and that's and so you you have that. It's because uh, and my kids were like that. They were like, just tell me what the right thing to do is. Just mm. tell me what God wants. We and all it's want like, that. It's like, yeah, because yeah. then I don't have to put the effort into it. Right. It's like if I go Well, then my, we, talk, we talked about that last Wednesday night. We're studying yeah. how to study the Bible. And I said, look, I know we're, we have this year-long reading plan for our church, and that's great. But, you know, one of the risks of a year-long reading plan is you're just trying to get it done. Yeah. And you're not actually sitting there meditating on the Word. I said, there was another pastor I worked with in Texas. He spent an entire year in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus in the pastoral epistles. Yeah, he spent a whole. He would read through them and just over and over because he just wanted to meditate on that portion of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't about accomplishing a certain reading set. Yeah. It was getting mm-hmm. as much out of this as I could. Yeah, and that's what we said. The reading plan, which the whole podcast is based on the reading mm-hmm. plan, so it's kind of awkward this conversation. But the um, but yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> so, stop it. So stop I'm talking about, it. and I'm telling yeah. you not to. Yeah. Well, no, but the but the whole purpose yeah. of it is. And people, people come to them all the time. They go, well, um, I, is it okay if I do this other reading plan? I go, absolutely not. That's right. <laughs> you must no, do this reading plan <laughs> or else you won't, God will not reward you. Uh, no, oh, no. It's, the, the, the idea was is that it is for people who don't have any reading plan. Who have yeah. no, It's like, say, you don't, it's like they just sit and go, I, I don't even know where to start. It's like, well, here's a place to start. But right. obviously, if in your time you're like, I want to spend more time at a feet, well, then by all means. Now you're just I'm I'm just trying to get you moving in the direction yeah. of because sometimes you need that sometimes we just want you, you in there that, yeah. that's what parents do with kids all the time we're we're just right. saying hey I want you, I'm just trying to teach you this habit and then when as you get older you develop it however you want mm. but uh, the thing that uh, you know Piper points out and I just it's one of my favorite examples is because uh, and this is kind of a like it but I, but I think all husbands there comes a time when we just want our I want to sit down with my wife and go okay here's a piece of paper. Write down for the next 20 years what you want for Christmas, and then so I can put that in a folder, and I can just look at it and go, oh, you know, it's 2029. This is what she wants for Christmas, and no wife will do that because she's like, I want you to figure it out. I mean, she may not say that, mm-hmm. but, but that's what she's saying. She's, I, I want you to hang with me, spend time with me. I mean, when we're in relationships, that's what we want. We, we desire that person to want to know. I mean, everybody knows when you get a present or a gift. That there is, there are those people who just got you what they thought you they should get, mm-hmm. and then those people who really thought about it and right. and who put time. It's like and it, and those are the ones that mean so much to you. Mm-hmm. And the reason is is because like wow, you you really do love me. You know, it's like you, you there's a there's some, and it wasn't because of of the uh, because they followed a certain set of rules or guidelines or whatever that you gave them. It was because they are, made the effort to be in that relationship to 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 pick up on the nuances of everything that was going on with you and I, and I think that's in our relationship with God it's it's a it's a constant God I just he knows the desire of your heart I just want to know you I want to I want to know what makes you happy and pleases you and I'm not looking for reward out of it I just the reward is getting to know you yeah so well that even reminds me of like in your sermon this Sunday when you were talking yeah. about how um we'll plan something out and we'll get ready for it and we'll pray and we'll We'll prepare well for this event or whatever it is, um, and we'll um, we'll expect God to move in what we're doing. Then it goes really well. It it, yeah. it succeeds, and and um, be, one because we're obedient to what God asks us to do, but two because we um, 
we put we gave it to God. We didn't yeah. make, do it on our own merit. We didn't do it on our own um, willpower, I guess, in a way. And then the next year rolls around and we start, you know, let's say let's say VBS because I think that's an easy one that's coming right around the corner. Let's say that one year we pray and we prepare for it well. Um, we go and it's a successful event and we have people show up. We have students who who lives seem to have changed mm-hmm. and um and parents that maybe are engaged in a different way. And the next year we just go into the event and we don't pray, we don't plan for it. Um, we don't expect God to move. We expect God our our works to move the event. And, and instead of uh, it being something of of God's work, um, of it being His hand in the in the work, instead of it, it's us doing it um, for ourselves in a lot yeah. of ways. And it's it's kind of a program mindset, I guess. But it's, yeah. but and we've taken the um, instead of giving the glory to God, instead we're wanting it on ourselves. Mm. And um, and I, that's kind of what you talked about a little bit on Sunday. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and it was just it was um I I re- I thought through it a lot while you were talking because it it's just it's similar to what you were talking about. Yeah. And, um. But the the other thing is I I think um when we think of the um and I'm about to talk about the rich young ruler too which I think kind of bridges off of this yeah bridge but, in there yeah but I build that bridge yeah <laughs> build the bridge but um the uh whenever we think about like behavior modification and like just finding a list of things to do um sometimes like in this rich young ruler we are given a set of things that we need to do as a Christian and um and even with this rich young ruler we see that uh, he has this he says, what must I do? And, and Jesus says, this is what you must do. You must, um, he says, uh, well, I'll read in just a moment, but he tells him exactly what to do to sell us things. And, yeah. and the, the guy says, ah, and he goes away sad. Yeah. And, um, and we see this picture as well in our own hearts, our own desires to follow God, that, that it requires a heart change and, and heart posture and desire that changes to follow God rather than a desire to just, modify my behaviors to match what God wants me to do otherwise. So um, I'll go ahead and read this passage. It's not too long. So I'm starting at verse 18 of chapter 18 of Luke. Um, I'm in the English standard version again. Um, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness on your father and mother. And he said, all, uh, all these things, or all these, I have kept from my youth. And so, pausing for just a second, we see here that that he's already identified Christ as um, as good, as a as a teacher that is unlike anyone else around them. Uh, obviously, you have the Pharisees that are are constantly looming um, during this time. You have the, the teachers around them, and um, and the priests. So they they have examples of of teachers around them, and and as opposed to them, he has already identified Christ as as different. So then. Back in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. So all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? He said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many many times more in his time and in the age to come eternal life. Hmm. So I just, I, I don't have too much to highlight in here. Um, avoiding the camel in the eye of the needle um, <laughs> theories or whatever. Right, that, yeah. uh, but um, other than that, um, in, in this passage, I just think it's a really cool picture of of how you have a man who has much that, and I think we we as Americans here in the United States have much um, a lot, and it's very easy for us to go to church and enjoy the the freedoms that we have here, the the lack of persecution um, in a lot of ways compared to other countries. Just systematically, we don't have the same persecution as other places. We we talk about Southeast Asia, the places that we have gone um, as a church over there. Um, in an effort to reach the lost there. And the, and the struggles that exist there are very different than the struggles that we have here. Mm. Um, the, the risk of death, um, for starters. But um, but there's so many things that they that they risk whenever they choose to follow Christ. And and here we have very little risk. We have very few things that we um, are going to constantly struggle through. And, and this guy says that he he, he confesses that the Christ is, is, is the good teacher, is, um, is, uh, is God, because 
um, even Christ points out, no one's good except God alone. And and this guy has identified that uh, he is good being God um, in the flesh. And so so he sees this who he is. And it reminds me of where we talked about even a couple of weeks ago, I think, about um, not all that um, that call upon me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Or last week I talked about the narrow gate. And so we, we see this kind of again where he's already told him that he is he is the Christ. Um, he's confessed him as Lord um, or as as um as god himself but he's unwilling to give up what um what he has and and he goes away sad because he he did not desire to follow christ in a way that that um that he would give up those things um the things that he had so um and i i think this also goes back to our own need to be willing to at least give up the things that we have if not giving them up as well and um and that we have lots of things, and and part of that's just gonna be giving up to God. I I think an easy example. Um, I I talked to um Reese at Lighthouse quite a bit about this, and and just I, in the fall I bought a house, and I've I've remodeled it and used it. We've set it up for the purpose of having people over for ministry things. Um, but on the other side of things, I had to be willing to give that up for the sake of Christ, and and that might mean that. At some point, I give it up, or or you even gave up your house. Um, you sold your house for, um, and I I don't know exactly all your your heart posture behind that, but I assume it, it had to be something similar to this, um, and in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah, some yeah. form, yeah. Yeah. So and so in the same way, like we had to be willing to use our spaces that we have, our our things that we own, our mm-hmm. and and use them for Christ or or remove right. them. And and if if there's something that we hold on to, I. I Reese point out that I use the term idle too freely, but mm-hmm. but if it's something that we we use as a um, something that we idolize or that we that we um, that we hold higher than um, than our willingness to to give it up to God, right. then it has to be removed. Yeah. And so anyway, that's all I had to add for this. And maybe it was a little more long-winded. Than I no, it's good. Good. I, I just was struck by the last part there. How it's this is one of those passages that sometimes Jesus says things that catch me off guard, and. Um, and where he says, uh, where Peter says, look, we have left uh, what we had and followed you. Mm-hmm. I just am, you know, it, and this just goes to my being Baptist. I'm anticipating the response. Yeah, because you should have, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So shut up, you know, mm-hmm. Peter. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course she did. That would have made sense. It, it it's like, yeah, OK, yeah, exactly. You should give up everything for me and, and suck it up like it, you know. And that's not what he says at all. I mean, he says. I, truly, I tell you, there's none who has left a house, wife, or brother, or sisters, who will not receive many times more at this time, and in the life and the age to come. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. That doesn't. That's like, cause I, you know, cause we, we kind of fancy ourselves anti-prosperity gospel people, mm-hmm. you know, and and we are. Uh, but I think what happens is in our reaction to the, it kind of goes back to your legalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, liberalism thing. Uh, in our reaction to what we see as being false teaching uh we gravitate so far in the opposite direction mm-hmm. it's like we look at people who um, we say oh, i don't believe that we go into a charismatic service and go oh my goodness these things are not biblical or whatever and so yeah. our reaction is i used to say that i grew up in a church where we we uh, believed the trinity was father son and the other guy uh we wouldn't <laughs> even say the holy spirit because that we were afraid of being cast as being charismatic people uh, so and, I might shout amen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's always yeah. just like, just, how, shh, just how far quiet. can we run away? Yeah, but anyway, it's. But I, I just think it's. I think it reminds us that uh, that it is not God's desire that we be um, all paupers and that we all be uh, have nothing. It's not the goal here is not complete and total destitution. Uh, the goal is to make Christ. You know, it's not that having the house is wrong. It's just that it's wrong when God says, I don't want you to have the house anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a good balance to the chapter that that I brought up that we were just talking about. Right. right. So it's it's not that um, it's not Jesus going, I saved you. That should be enough. Just be grateful. (laughs) Shut up and do what I tell you to do. Right. Right. It's no like I am going to take care of you because I can take care of you better than you can take care of you. Yeah. And I just want you to have, I want you to be worried about me and I'll be worried about you. Right. And he says that, uh, he says that in, in Matthew, right? That yeah. you seek first God's kingdom. Right. You worry about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You worry about the mission I've given you and all these other things that you're worried about. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? All these things you're worried about. Yeah. I'm going to give you those. Right. I'm going to give you everything you need for life, life in abundance. Right. You worry about, 
this and I'll worry about you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, and I think in, uh, in Galatians, Paul talks a lot about legalism, about, he calls them Judaizers, um, where they, where they're trying to, to pull the Jewish law and, and, and force that into the lives of the Christians at the time, um, within these churches and especially the ones who are Gentiles. Um, and then, um, and, but he uses these things that they talk about. He says, there's the one side that's legalism where it's gone too far. And there's the other side where it's, it's a, um, it's a marker of what look, a Christian should look like. I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of Galatians, we see the fruit of the Spirit. We see mm-hmm. um, examples of, of what it does look like when the Spirit is at play in someone's life, yeah. as opposed to whenever they've gone so far that it's no longer the Spirit at play, but it's our own flesh mm-hmm. desiring to follow God in a way that is, is you know, tangible and we can, we can sell off a list. Um, even thinking of, we were talking the other day at, at Lighthouse about the qualitative versus quantitative measures of, mm-hmm. of discipleship, where we we look at, at the health of a, of a discipleship area of what, you know, whether it's a church or in our case, a parachurch organization, right. um, where we have um, the one side, which is qualitative, where we're looking for the, um, how is this person growing in Christ? Or the quantitative, how many people are showing up that we can share the gospel with? Mm. Um, and and both, both are useful in some cases, but when we're looking at health, we want to look at the qualitative measures, not, not just how many are, are doing this or that. Yeah, so, very good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Evan, for sharing. We're going to come back. We're going to answer some questions. So be sure and stay right here with us on the Understanding Jesus podcast. Claim Your Destiny, a men's Bible study of Kingdom Man, six Monday nights starting April 17th at 6.30 p.m. at First Baptist Jackson at The Bridge. That's April 17th, 6.30 p.m. at The Bridge here at First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you'd like to register, go to the Kingdom Man at FBCJ link at fbcj.us. That's our website, fbcj.us. now time for us to do some questions and answers and Clayton's got a question he's going to share but before Clayton gets to his question I'm going to ask a couple of questions you should have asked but didn't and uh, the first one goes all the way back to Vector both from Judges uh, all three are from Judges uh, the first one is a troubling passage from Judges 11 and uh, that is did Jephthah perform a human sacrifice and what it goes through Jephthah made a commitment that uh, if the Lord gave him victory that whatever walked out of his house first that he would offer that to the Lord and so the question is and then it tells about how his daughter uh, was given an opportunity to mourn uh, but that she his daughter says that um, that uh, I you I want you to be true to your word and so, therefore, but give me a chance to spend some time with my friends and so forth, and then I'll fulfill. And then it says, then he did perform the vow. Uh, but it it very is very ambiguous there as to whether did so did he kill her or did he uh, or did she just simply abstain from men for the rest of her life and uh, and so forth. And uh, let me just point out some very uh, very important parts about this this passage that uh, just so you don't overlook one one is just to, to understand uh, would she have known about the vow would she have known that her father had made this vow and what an odd vow it is because would he not expect in fact it was tradition for the children to come out to run out and praise and celebrate was he expecting an animal to run out of the house <laughs> you know when uh, and whatever animal came out so when he's making the vow there is almost built into it a sense that a person can come out uh and be the first person he sees right. so what is it actually that he's saying and uh, and I'm just going to give you one commentator because it goes back to the Hebrew language uh in uh let's look at verse 36 through 39 where um where he says the the vow well that's where he says um bum, 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 chapter bum. eleven I have to go back to where he makes the vow it says um he says if you in fact hand over the Ammonites to me it's this is back in thirty one uh, whoever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord and I will offer that person as a burnt offering and this Hebrew scholar said it's the vav between the two parts of the vow 
that can be, rather than being translated and, should be translated or. Mm-hmm. And so he's, so what the vow could mean is that he's saying, and Garen, we don't, this isn't anything indisputable, but, uh, but it could be, but it does make sense. Uh, it's, it could be whoever comes out of the, the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely, anticipating a person uh, from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord. And that's the first part of the vow. Or I will offer that, and it doesn't have to be person in that regard, I, or I will offer as that as a burnt, burnt offering. Meaning if it is not a person, but a animal, then I will offer that as a burnt offering. So whatever comes out of the house will be dedicated to the Lord, or whatever is there will be offered up as a burnt offering. Uh, meaning if it's an animal, obviously I'm not just going to give the animal to the Lord, I will offer it up. And so that kind of helps to understand the context of what's happening. Otherwise, it gets it gets tricky as to mm-hmm. you have to make a leap of saying, well, it, it, it's, he really didn't kill his daughter or whatever. Well, that's what he, if you don't if you take it the other way, that's what he said. I mean, he says, I'm going to offer it up. I am going to offer it up as a burnt offering, which wouldn't make sense. The other context of that, if he did say it the other way, mm-hmm. if he didn't mean and, uh, then that just shows then God is giving us a story to show the depravity of culture at this particular time in in judges' history. And they were pretty messed up at this particular time. So uh so absolute just to show you how far off the reservation the judges had gone is you have him saying like making this really prom this promise has absolutely nothing to do with what would be pleasing and obedient to God. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well and 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 again we're we're studying narrative tomorrow night. Y'all, yeah. y'all come. And um, <laughs> um, something about narrative that helps you interpret it is repetitive phrases mm-hmm. that show up as a theme. And the repetitive phrase in Judges is, and the people did what was evil on the side of the Lord. Right. And that's over and over and over and over again. Everybody so, did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the story, the story of Judges is people is a story of people rebelling against God over and over and over and over again. Yep. And God still being gracious of getting them out. Right. Even though they're about to go do mm-hmm. it again. Right. You know, so I, 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 I would, I would think I would still tend toward the second, the second interpretation yeah. other than, other than I, and I'm not as, I'm not nearly as confident in Hebrew as I am in Greek, but uh, when he says, I will offer it as a burnt offering, you could possibly read that as, as a as a simile, mm-hmm. yeah, I will offer it, offer it just like in the you would same o- way I would offer it, as you would offer yeah. a burnt offering, right? I will, I will offer, the Lord. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. as I'm saying, so you have a lot of flex in the text actually mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. there's uh there's a lot of ways to explain why uh they reacted the way they reacted, and and that the daughter. Uh, but uh, but one of the things this is and this was posited by somebody um, said she may have written it on purpose she may have said I want to do this I want to I want to be this offering to the Lord I want to give myself to the Lord and now that would be a leap and uh, how would she yeah. have known well because she's the first if she had known his known his vow if he had made that vow known if it was well known mm-hmm. that her father had made this commitment to the Lord and as mm-hmm. she sees him she makes a purpose to be the first person out of the house yeah yeah so it's uh, because because of her willingness to uh, already she's saying, no, I want you to, don't be distraught. I want you to be faithful to your vow and so forth. So, and was, and because it kind of paints her out as a heroine here, mm. as a person who has done this. And they, at least during her lifetime, will go. But, uh, you know, as far as whether this was a tradition that continued on of honoring her or whether she was, this was, uh, the idea was that they visited her, that that implies that she was still alive, you know, mm. uh, for the course of her life. So. Uh, but again, that's all there, but, but just to, when you read things like that, understand it's not saying there is nowhere, nowhere it's saying that God honors human sacrifice. That is not in the text in any way, form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And, and we have plenty of, 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 if anybody comes against you and says, see, here's a, here's an example where God is like, nope, there's nothing in that text that says that God, that's what God desired. It was right. ever, it was only purely human right. uh, endeavor there. The other question is uh, further up in Judges and uh, is one of the most popular pa- passages in Judges about Delilah and Judges 16. And um, 
a very famous story about Samson and Delilah. And the question is, was Delilah a Philistine? And here's the argument as to why Delilah is most likely not a Philistine was because if she was a Philistine, we saw earlier, you had a Philistine wife and they just went to her and pressured her into doing what they wanted her to do with Delilah. They offered her a lot of money. And so she seems like a greedy Jew. That's <laughs> what it comes across as a uh, greedy Israelite. And so so the uh, so the idea, most likely she is not a Philistine, just based on the sum of money that they're offering, which really translates to um, millions of dollars in mm. today's wages and so forth. Uh, so this is a big uh, they are really, 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 really wanting someone to betray um, uh, Samson and kind of is a forerunner to the betrayal of Christ in, in, in some ways right. in that regard. But the uh, the other question that uh, come came up, uh, has come up on previous podcasts, actually, hmm. uh, previous years when we've gone through this, I just wanted to highlight it again, is, is she the woman, is Delilah the woman in chapter 17? Because it says in chapter 17, he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver taken from you and that I heard you place a curse on, here's the silver, I took it. And so this woman, right after uh, Delilah got 1,100 pieces of silver, mm-hmm. uh, now you have in the next passage this woman with 1,100 pieces of silver. Right. And so it, are they the same people? Well, here's the problem. In chapter 17, we go actually backwards on the timeline. This is Everything is happening now because the context of what we have from chapter 17 on actually goes hundreds of years before Delilah was even on the scene. So she's not even in the picture at this point. Samson comes much later in the progress of the judges. Judges jumps around a little bit on the timeline. So, uh, so you have to be careful about just putting things in a chronological order. And we know that because? Of the context within uh, all the different things that are happening with the Danites and right. where they are and, and the progression of, of their conquest of Canaan and so forth. So right. uh, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's knowable. So right. if you if you begin to draw out, this is where Dan would be, this is where these things would be taking place and so forth, it's going to move you backwards. Uh, right. And uh, and it's like Ruth. Ruth takes place earlier than the end of Judges. Uh, but, and we know that by the people who are in power and so forth, probably during the time of Othniel being a judge is probably when they leave to go to Moab. Mm-hmm. So uh, so anyway, so it's kind of a, so anyway, we're all over the place. But uh, but this is something that this year, and this is really I brought it because I didn't include, I, I said that much in previous podcasts. But something that somebody pointed out to me this year was that there were five lords of the Philistines, and they all gave her 1,100 pieces of silver. So she didn't get 1,100 pieces of silver. She got 5,500 pieces of silver for her um, for her trouble. So it says, each of us, uh-huh. in verse 5, each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Mm. So there's... Now, granted, you could take the language to yeah. make it say all, well, all of us together. Yeah, but, but even then, yeah. like, so so chapter 16 is a bad story. Chapter 17, I think, reads as a good story. And the 1100 could be a hinge there. Yes. Of, of, see, here's an example of disobedience. Here's an example. I think of that I think is I think the reason they chose not to say 5,500 if that's what it wound up mm-hmm. being or whatever, but chose to go with that. And it, it is a thousand pieces of silver, is just a large amount of money. And then adding 100 to it actually mm-hmm. made it a really huge sum of mm-hmm. money and so forth. So it doesn't have to be exactly that amount. Mm-hmm. That there were lots of general numerical references in mm-hmm. judges and so forth. But the um, but anyway the I but but there's nothing. Um, if it's it's one of those things that you look at and say. That would be novel, that that would be Delilah, but it doesn't work on the timeline any way you go about it. I've tried to make it work. It doesn't work. So anyway, so we'll leave it at that. So anyway, let's get to your question. Um, All right. Well, do you want to do the first one or the second one? Just shoot shoot one out. Let's do the second one. The second one. Yeah, let's do the second one. Um, So it was Luke 17 again. Okay. We're going to camp out there, ladies and gentlemen. Luke 17. Doing a whole camping trip. Yep. Luke 17, just like the Sparks family. <laughs> Out on a camping trip right now. Um, Luke 17, verses 20 through 37, is the story of the coming of the kingdom. Okay. And um, this is, a lot of people read this as Jesus alluding to the second coming and mm-hmm. the rapture and things of that nature. And Right. Um, as we were talking about, typically... When people think of the rapture, they think of it like Left Behind depicts it as the righteous people are taken away and the unrighteous are left and have to deal with tribulation. Um, but when I when I read this passage, I notice that he's talking about 
the days he's using Noah and and Lot as Sodom and Gomorrah as his examples of what the second coming is going to be like. Mm. In those examples, it was the unrighteous people who were taken. Mm-hmm. The righteous were the righteous were spared and left. Right. Um. So I just I was curious if your thoughts. Do you read that differently? Do you read that similar? And how do no, you, I how actually, do you tie I, that into the I, second coming? I have made that point multiple times before that uh, that it is a we get this idea that when there are two standing there and one is taken and the other is left behind. We're like in our brains, we're wired to think the person left behind is the bad person and it's a good person who's gone. But you're right. In the examples given, no, it was just the opposite. It's mm-hmm. the and it doesn't tell us that uh, it's not like, well, no, I know what you're thinking. But in this mm-hmm. example, it's the good person who's being raptured. Um, the I'm just going to cut to the chase. <laughs> I will say I do not believe in a because I, I really think that paints the idea of that type of rapture of good people being raptured out paints a picture of a two return mm. of Christ, two returns of Christ. Right. I do not believe there are two. I believe the return of Christ is one single event. And I think that's the way Jesus paints it. And we make a stretch, which really, if you look historically, that stretch really starts to be made at the at the 20th cent, turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's when it became popularized and over the course of the 20th century fleshed out. And then media comes in the way. And so you have all types of media and all types of people pushing it. Because it's very, uh, you know, I, I sat through timelines and pictures and drawn, you know, how everything's going to progress exactly as it's going to be and so forth. And that's what people want. I, you know, ever since I've been in the pastorate, everybody wants, oh, would you draw the time blimp for it? Would you tell us exactly how it's going to paint out? And they love it. And it's like the more graphics you can provide, the better. Right. And and people love, it's like, I'm going to teach a Bible study on Revelation. And the more you can tie the present countries and, and politics. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's like, uh, I, I've shared with you before, I had a guy who said it was, it was uh, Tony, uh, what's his name? Uh the guy who was prime minister of England, Tony, uh, Blair. Tony Blair. Yes, Tony Blair's the Antichrist. Obviously, he was. Clearly, uh, so clearly, we all know uh, that now. It's for obviously. sure. It's definite. But this guy was like absolutely positive. Of course, it's it's kind of like you know, 88 reasons. Uh, when I'm, in 1988, which mm-hmm. predates both of you, there was a book that called came out called 88 Reasons Why the Jesus the World's Going to End in 1988. And not to be outdone by the sequel. Which, did you know there was a, 89, 89 reason? 89 reason. I know, which reasons. was insane. Yep. And you're like, you surely do not have to yeah, go. The 89th reason was he didn't come back in 88. <laughs> exactly. No. And so, uh, you know, and you go through that, and then and some really good people uh, said Jesus is coming back in the year 2000 and so forth. And, and, and when, obviously, when Y2K, that's all, it's all going to be because Jesus is returning at this time. Didn't happen. And, and so you didn't have people falling away from faith and so forth. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that I'm not going to be so, di- when the, Tom Schreiner was one of my, uh, uh, theology professors in New Testament theology and, and, um, and one of the people that taught me everything I know about revelation and, uh, and I, and <laughs> I love one of the things he would say, he'd say on uh, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, I am amillennial, and on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I am pre, I'm pre-trib. Historic premillennial. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Historic premillennial. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and that's uh, and you're like, oh, well, there you go. And um, that's and because how do you know? You can't know. So it's like it, it, that's the reason why people vacillate. Anybody who doesn't struggle with it, I don't think is taking it seriously. I don't think I don't think you're giving it the time that is needed to really understand what revelation is. If you don't understand, we are not given these things. It's like these are ambiguous, purposefully ambiguous, uh, because that's not the message that God is trying to communicate. And and when you are focused on those charts, and when you are focused on the rapture, and when you are focused on all these other things, you know, on on are my clothes going to be folded neatly when I'm left be- when you know after they're left behind, uh, and this group of people, and what are those people going to do who are left behind, and how's that going to be, and the number of the beast, what's it going to be, and all these different. When you get focused on those things, you are not focused on the message that God wanted you to have. It's all, it's all going to burn anyway. Yeah, well, it is. It's it's like the the point is is that uh, we are that Christ is our redemption we find salvation in him and uh and i do believe i I will you didn't ask this question but i'm going to go jump in there i do believe in a later date in the authorship of revelation i believe in a post 8070 date uh because i believe jerusalem because i think what happened was is that uh, and and this is just me (laughs) because we all have opinions i think gospels are given and i think the gospels were pre-8070 
I think then, and they and they had the words of Jesus here talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. I think that's one of the things Jesus was saying, the destruction of Jerusalem's coming. He makes it clear in the Gospel of Luke. And then the, Jerusalem's destroyed. And then you have the church going, well, what now? I mean, oh my goodness, the Jerusalem, the temple is destroyed. All of Jerusalem is destroyed. We're, the diaspora is ha- we're all cast out all over the place. We're scattered everywhere. Rome, no, persecution is everywhere. So what's the word for the church? And I believe God uh, answered the cries of the saints or whatever and said, I'm going to give a word through John and reveal to him, give this message to the church. Because that has never, that event has never happened again. After that, and I think now you have all of us just seeing all the things that that he says are going to happen. There's tribulation all the time. You know, it's like we're in a a state of tribulation. And uh, I mean, if you don't if you don't believe that tribulation is real, you're just in the wrong country. You just Mm -hmm. go to you go to where it is. And it's everything that Revelation talks about being. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe there will come a time on a worldwide scale when all of this will come to an end. Uh, and these things will become graphic. But I believe that is when Jesus returns and then he takes his church and that's it. It's over. It's done. It's one one cataclysmic ending. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, today, uh, what is today? Tuesday? Today, I believe. Today we are <laughs> That he will set up his millennial reign. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we will serve yeah. for a thousand years under King we Jesus. Are, and and uh, We, we can are in that. the millennium right that's now. Right, that's right. So anyway, so that's that's where we go with that. So anyway, yeah. Good talk, guys. Enjoyed it. And Austin, we hope you get to feeling better. But thank you for joining us. We talk, covered so much stuff today. But thank you for being here. And uh, if you want to go back and listen to previous podcasts and see what we said about these things in previous years, you can. They're all online at fbcj.us. And uh, just look up uh, resources or somewhere that says podcast, I think. Just click podcast. Yeah, but anyway. Podcast under Understanding Jesus. Uh, yeah. Google Play, same thing. And there you go. Uh, Spotify is the same thing. Understanding yeah. Jesus. And Apple Podcasts. There you go. Yeah, I, yeah that's podcast. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And then, um, and then also on YouTube under Understanding Jesus on youtube and uh yeah subscribe like and listen so mm-hmm. anyway but and come yeah. back and join us next time we, on, oh what one more thing. i was gonna say we have a huge library of sermons if they get tired of the podcast that's right that's right uh, yeah yeah whenever we highlight things and messages you can go back and listen to the whole thing perfect yeah exactly all right we'll see you next time